Well, uh, you may have probably seen this cartoon uh, that's gone around for many years. But Tom Steinmetz, uh, because we're preaching on Revelation, Tom Steinmetz um, sent this cartoon to me and to other men this past week. And I had Reverend Ole and Pastor Sven <clears throat> who were pounding a sign in the ground that read, The end is near. Turn yourself around before it's too late. And as cars sped around the corner, they heard a squeal and then a big, huge splash. When the guy said, leave us alone, you religious nuts, they would pass by and they kept hearing these splashes. Reverend Rowley turned his pastor's friend and said, do you think maybe the sign ought to maybe just read the bridge is out? You've seen that before, right? Um, the end is near. The end is near. Um, and, and I was raised believing that the end was near, as most of us have probably thought um, in our upbringing. Um, I remember watching this next slide, The Thief in the Night, back in the 60s, a version of the rapture where people disappear and chaos ensues. And I got thinking, oh man, am I ready? I don't want to be left behind. I, I want to be one who goes with Jesus in the sky someday. And then uh, more of a recent film with Kirk Cameron is uh, the Left Behind trilogy that replayed the ideas of the end times and the rapture. And then I remember thinking of a song, or actually enjoying a song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready by Larry Norman. You remember that song? Life was filled with guns and war and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. The children died, the days grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. I said, oh man. My brother was uh, in a home and he saw a light come through the window and he knew Jesus was coming back. In the middle of the night he woke up, he sat in bed, he just started crying and praising Jesus and then the light came and passed. It was just an oncoming car that was at a stop sign and then it... <laughs> But he, I think we've all thought that Jesus could come back at any moment, and uh, we don't want to be left behind. Well, uh, there's a view known as dispensationalism, which teaches that Christians will secretly be raptured or caught up in the clouds at any moment when we're least expected. This rapture theory uh, will take place um, before the Antichrist comes into power and the Great Tribulation uh, commences around the world. In this view, um, in, this, in this view, believers in Christ will escape the great tribulation. And I think, come on, Jesus, I like that. I want to I wanna be gone. But it will be unfortunate for those unbelievers who will be flying in the jumbo jet with Christian pilots. You know, when the rapture comes, because phew, they're gone, and then no one is there left to fly the plane. And have you ever wondered what will become of all the children around the world. If you believe in the age of accountability, all the children will be gone. Whether they're in believing or unbelieving families, right? Unless, of course, you are heavily reformed Calvinist, which says God has predestined some for heaven and some for hell, and then some kids will be left behind. But a lot of people don't believe that, and so this will not just affect believers and their unbelieving family members, it will then literally affect everyone around the world because everyone knows children, be they nieces, nephews, children, grandchildren. And so life won't go on as normal throughout the Great Tribulation if there are no children. And what will become of the children born during that seven-year Great Tribulation? 
Well, they just automatically just, you know, these thoughts I, I never had until this week when I was thinking about this. Well, um, there are two main views for premillennial dispensation, premillennial. Um, well, this guy, by the way, is named, uh, what's his name? Ah, I got to look him up. I forgot. Oh, John Nelson Darby. This dispensational view of the secret rapture only came into being in 1875. Prior to that, unheard of. No one ever thought of a secret disappearance. They just knew that uh, Jesus would come back one day and that would be the end. And there'd be judgment and, you know, new heaven, new earth. Um, but here are the two main views under the premillennial, which means the millennial kingdom will come after uh, Jesus returns. It's premillennial. But there's post-tribulation premillennial or pre-trib dispensational premillennial. Um, post-trib says that uh, after the cross, we basically live through the tribulation because good things happen and bad things happen to everyone. Uh, there's a lot of pain and suffering and always has been, always will be. That's tribulation. And then Jesus will return, second coming, and the millennial kingdom will be set up. And then that's the post-trib rapture, all right? Post-trib rapture. Um, the rapture will happen after tribulation is post-trib and then there's the pre-trib rapture meaning the rapture or disappearance of Christians will happen before tribulation it's pre-tribulation rapture and this view is the view that's been espoused uh, since eight, uh, 1875 John Nelson Darby for the first 300 years though and actually first 1800 years Christians believe that they would go through tribulation and even the great tribulation before Jesus is coming. In fact, Christians went through great tribulation. All the disciples were martyred for Christ. All the early Christians, most of them were thrown to the lions or they're crucified or they're burned at the stake. It wasn't until 85, 1885 that this switch happened in this view of end times. What happened in 1885 to cause John Darby to think differently. Well, it was the rise of theological liberalism, which taught that there was a disbelief in supernatural miracles of the Bible. Like, these things didn't happen, they're fairy tales. But they, they give us good lessons anyway, you know, the worldwide flood and such. There was a, even the miracles of Jesus really didn't happen. You know, we can explain them away scientifically now. Um, or there was a conviction that the Bible was solely a human document. It wasn't God-inspired, God-breathed, inerrant, infallible, any of those words. It was just a good rule to live under. And, and they also taught during this time period uh, that there were errors and contradictions, and um, there are questions about even Jesus' words himself. Who can actually be sure what Jesus actually taught? Didn't it change over the years? And so theological liberalism in response Became, uh, the conservative evangelical Christians uh, formed an alliance to defend biblical accuracy. And the book of Revelation, when it was studied, was viewed in this light. Um, it was literal, and which it is, I mean, but it was not symbolic. Um, and then there came Schofield, who came up with a study Bible, the Schofield Reference Bible which espoused this new way of thinking about the disappearance of people. 
And then this guy, Harry Ironside, another evangelist, started preaching it, and lo and behold, it caught on. People heard the message of a secret rapture, you don't want to be left behind, and they repented at the altar in droves. Man, this was selling. And so more and more evangelists began preaching this, and it caught on, and it's now the popular view in America and in the West today. Dispensational pre-rapture theory. Again, prior to that, uh, most viewed Revelation more symbolically. As we know, Revelation has a lot of symbols in there. And God intentionally made, give, gave us a prophecy with symbols in order uh, that it would apply to any generation. For example, when it talks about the evil of Babylon, the early Christians and, men, and ever, ever since, they didn't think of literal Babylon. They thought of maybe Rome, the Roman Empire, or they might have thought about the Nazi regime, or they might have thought about Middle Eastern countries that are anti-God, anti-Christ, um, whatever. And so it applies to every generation. And the numbers like a thousand and seven years, that means complete. It doesn't mean a specific number as they're repeated throughout these numbers, throughout the book of Revelation. So that's how it was typically understood. Things were repeated, and it wasn't in a chronological time frame. It was just a re repeating of themes, saying Jesus is sitting on the throne. He's coming back. Be faithful. Yes, you'll, you'll have suffering. And so that's how it was viewed until 1875. And then the second coming would occur only one time in, their, in this view, not two separate events. In a secret rapture, and then seven years later, Jesus would come back a final time, for in the millennial kingdom to reign as a new uh, in the new heaven and new earth my goal is not to try to dissuade anyone against the dispensational pre-rapture theory today that's not my goal I don't care if you adhere to that all of your life or change it doesn't matter to me I've just studied all the views and I wanted to offer a different view than the uh, than the pre-trib rapture all right, so that you understand how other believers think and how I might even lean. But my goal is not to convince you, but my goal is, is to stand on the truth that we all are in agreement, whatever view we hold, to his, the timing of it all. Jesus is coming back. We will all eventually be gathered with Jesus when he returns either the first time or the second time or only once. God promises that he will remain with us and one day we'll all be together worshiping him and serving him in the new heaven, new earth. We all stand in the same unified belief on that and that's the most important thing. And at that time, we may all have to admit that we got some things wrong even as the first believers got it wrong, Jesus' first coming wrong when he came as a baby in the manger. Most everyone missed that. But I want us to consider, will there be first a secret rapture when Christ comes in the clouds to gather his people? And then after this rapture, there will be a seven-year period of great tribulation with the Antichrist unleashing his fury on these, uh, those left behind. And then finally, after seven years, Jesus will return a second and final time to set up his millennial kingdom. Is that what it's going to look like? And what difference does it make? All right, here we go. We're going to look at the passages that pre-rapture folks hang their hats on. Four, four different passages. First one, Revelation 3.10. 
John is given this word. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. Keep you from the hour of trial. That must mean the great tribulation. I will rescue you from that hour of trial. Well, this word from in Greek, if you're to look it up, it's ek, E-K. It can mean from, it can mean out of, it can mean, this, this preposition can mean a lot of things. It can mean through. And so other believe, really, the idea is I will keep you through the hour of trial, not from or out of the hour of trial. In other words, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not hardship, not persecution, not famine, not death, not tribulation. I will, I will keep you through it. And this, again, was the common belief for the first 1875 years of the church after Jesus' resurrection. Christians understood that they were never promised a special exemption from trials and tribulations and persecutions. Furthermore, context is everything. Read the very next verse, verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Hold on. You can be an overcomer. You can be victorious. Don't give up. This vision, this revelation was given to a church that was suffering. Hold on. Don't give up. This is a call of perseverance through distressing time, times which the early church experienced. Revelation 2 Another church was said, you have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name. Do not grow weary. Acts 14, we go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. John 16, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Luke 21, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. I will take you through it. Stand firm, and you'll win life. Again, Revelation was given to the early church in large part because they were suffering, and they needed a word of encouragement. Not, hey, don't worry about that. You don't have to experience any of that stuff. I'll rescue you from all that stuff. You'll be out of here. The next verse, Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must first take place after this. What must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven. Now those who believe in the pre-trib rapture believe that the church will be raptured at this point in chapter 4 of Revelation. Anything after chapter 4 is what's going to happen with Christians gone out of this world, they say, because the church is not mentioned after chapter 4. But what did the voice from heaven mean when, when it said, come up here, is that a rapture? Come up here to this open door and look inside. Well, I looked it up in Greek, and you know what it means? It means, John, come up here and look inside. That's all it means. It's, he's speaking to John. He's not speaking to a church, a disappearing church, much less a church in the distant future. 
this voice, this angel says, come up here to this open door, look inside, John, and that's what he did. It speaks nothing of a rapture. You've got to read so much into it to say, well, that's the rapture right here, and after this, Christians are gone. All right. Uh, there, and then a third verse, and this is the, <clears throat> these last two are the primary passages they hang their hats on. First <clears throat> Thessalonians 4. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That's the rapture. They'll be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. We'll, be, we'll disappear. Well, did you know the word rapture doesn't appear anywhere in Scripture? The word caught up is the Greek word harpazo, which means to be snatched or to be seized or to be claimed and gathered to God, claimed by God. Every Christian believes that one day we will be carried away to God. No one disagrees with that. But there is no mention of a secret sudden disappearance in this passage. I've read it many, many times. I don't see a secret disappearance. There's no mention of two comings in, of Jesus, for that matter, as far as I can tell. Every time I read about Jesus coming, it talks about the glorious day of the Lord when he returns rather than a secret vanishing but prior to a seven year tribulation and then another coming of Jesus furthermore does this passage sound like a secret vanishing before seven year tribulation the Lord comes down with a loud command with the voice of an archangel with a trumpet call of God that's not secretive that's very loud it's very public it speaks of the second coming of Christ not a secret rapture where, where did, where did he go? He was just here just a second ago, and holy smokes, that's interesting. Additionally, Paul would have probably thought of this very familiar practice when he spoke of this. This coming would have been the coming of a victorious general followed by his entourage, his army, after winning this decisive battle. And the people in the walled city would see them in the distance and they would run out and they would cheer and they'd welcome the heroes and they would usher them back in the city and they'd celebrate together. Or it could have been the picture of, uh, of a, a king or queen, someone, a royal coming in with his or her entourage. And then the city would send a special delegation to welcome and usher them back in. And then the city would celebrate together and honor the royalty. You're going out, and you're not staying out for seven years and disappearing when you're welcoming this, whether you're an entourage or family members. Immediately you come back to the city and celebrate. That's what Paul would have had, in, or John would have had in mind as he saw this vision. And, and so when Jesus returns, We'll celebrate with him. We'll welcome him to the new heaven and new earth, and we'll be together forever. One coming, according to this other view. 
Furthermore, if you read 2 Thessalonians, the very next letter that Paul wrote to the same church, um, he refers back to the first coming of Christ that he just spoke of, that we just read. He said in chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read about that in the first letter, right? And our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching. Um, skip down to verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That day that Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians 4, or the, the disappearing in the clouds, that day won't happen until the Antichrist reveals himself and begins blaspheming God. Uh, okay, and, and then one last verse. One more popular passage that the pre-trib rapture folks would, would adhere to is Matthew 24. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. How can anyone object to the pre-trib rapture here? One disappears and the other one's left. Explain that to me, Pastor. Well, I will explain it to you. I'm glad you asked. Let's read the context of this whole passage. Start a few verses earlier. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Up to that day, Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Who was taken away? The poor blokes who drowned to death in judgment. I don't want to be taken away. I want to be left behind. I want to be on the ark in safety when the judgment comes. And then how about the parallel account in Luke, Luke chapter 17? I tell you, on that night, two men, two people will be, uh, I'm sorry, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left, two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said, where, Lord, where will they be taken? And then he replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Well, that clears it up, Jesus, thank you. What does that mean? Well, they knew what it meant. The Roman soldiers would enter into a walled city and they would terrorize the city by entering into random homes and just take whoever they could get, one person from every home, take them outside the walls of the city and crucify them just to terrorize them so that people would submit to the Roman Empire and the, the army. And it was cruel and it was evil and loved ones would die, early Christians would die like that and, and Jews too. And, and so if if after they died, they were taken down off the cross, they were buried, thrown in mass graves outside the walls of the city. And if you were a Jew or a Christian and you wanted a proper burial for your loved one, then you'd have to go out to this mass grave and find your deceased loved one. And how could you find the mass grave? 
you look for where the vultures are gathering. Again, do you want to be taken or do you want to be left behind? I don't want to disappear and go outside the walls of the city. And yet we use these two verses to describe a secret rapture. It's totally taken out of context. You don't want to be taken. So those are the passages that, um, and there are others too, uh, but I don't find strong evidence for it. Once again, we don't want to be taken away or snatched or gathered to our unfortunate demise. So what difference does it make? In conclusion, just four bullet points. What difference does it make if we believe in a pre-trib rapture or if we'll be here during the tribulation before Christ's coming? First, are we prepared should we have to go through tribulation like so many of our brothers and sisters are currently going through and so many in the past? Are we prepared or do we believe that God would never do that to us? We are his beloved children and he will snatch us out of here before it gets really bad. In fact, some may be disillusioned, and this was the purpose for writing Revelation. Don't give up. Be overcomers. You know, persevere through it all, because I'll be faithful. I'll be with you. I'll strengthen you through it all. Remember, Revelation was written to a suffering church, and to be fair, many those who believe in a, a rapture would say that we're not guaranteed a tribulation-free life. No one ever said that. All we're saying is we will be spared the great tribulation, the seven-year period where God's wrath is poured out. That's what we're saying. And that's a good argument, and, and they would be, could be right. But that's, are we prepared to go through opposition, potentially? Uh, secondly, are we sensitive to the plight of our persecuted brothers or sisters? We can't be insensitive to them who are suffering greatly around the world. A rapture before the tribulation is an American and European phenomenon, a Western world phenomenon and belief. Again, many would say God would not let his children suffer, and if you go have a mission trip to the Middle East or to China or to India or to Africa, they'd stare at you like a deer in the headlights. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Not only would they be confused, um, they would be shocked and disheartened by our words. God would never dare to put us through great tribulation. Well, you know what? Getting your head cut off, is that not great tribulation? Thirdly, do we have a kingdom attitude or not? Let me explain that. Our primary job description in life is to take care of the earth to be good stewards of God's creation. Ever since Genesis 1, take care of the animals and the plants and the ecology and love one another, take care of each other. In other words, bring the kingdom of God down to earth. Thy kingdom come, Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we should pray. Not try to escape the earth, all the bad people and all the bad things that are happening on the earth, get away from that and take me away from here. Take me away. No, it's to bring the kingdom of God down to earth. In fact, in Revelation 11, we're told that time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding the servants. Your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. 
Do we have a kingdom mindset when it comes to looking at our earth today? Or do we think, you know, earth is going to hell in a handbasket, and I'd just prefer to be gone from this all. I want to I separate myself from these bad people and these bad things. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Uh, no, you're to bring my kingdom down to earth. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. And so it's not an escapism mentality that we should hang our head on. We can't wait to get out of here. It should be rather, how can we bring your kingdom to earth? Finally, is this thought of tribulation, is it good news or bad news? Growing tribulation as the time draws closer. And I would say it's kind of both. Who wants to go through great tribulation? None of us do. But we're told that even as the intensity of tribulation arises and hatred toward Christian because they hated Jesus and, and they loved the darkness, even as that grows, then God's kingdom activity will grow. Supernatural miracles will begin to manifest themselves, displays of God's power. The church will grow in, in, in ways that we've never seen before as the time draws closer. So as I mentioned last week, in Africa, as as a million Christians in, during four months of COVID came to Christ through the Jesus film, these, these Africans, who were, many of them were formerly Muslim, they're saying, we don't care. Bring it on, man. We have found a new life and new joy. We, we have purpose, man. We have been set free. You know, it, you, can, you can reject me because I'm a follower of Christ now, but we don't care because, oh man, life is so great, even though we're going through suffering and rejection from our former Muslim brothers and sisters. It's good news. It's good news that as the time draws closer, we're going to see God's power break out in miraculous supernatural form at the same time that Satan is waging war. And yet we'll see it. And we have the privilege to be a part of that. Good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the 82,000 people who will come to Christ today as a result, uh, um, as it's reported in Bar Barlett's World Christian Encyclopedia. 82,000 people are coming to Christ in unprecedented numbers because the time may be drawing near, Lord. And you said your gospel will be proclaimed at the ends of the earth when the time draws near. We thank you that's happening due to the internet and social media. And Lord, that your, your name is, and people's lives are changing. Lord, we are living in the most exciting days for the breaking out of the gospel. Lord, forgive us for cowering in fear. Forgive us for focusing on fear. And help us to focus on the perfect love that will cast out fear. And that is namely Jesus Christ who sits on the throne. Lord Jesus, whatever happens, whether there is a rapture and I'm wrong, I would love to be wrong. If that happens, Lord, I will rejoice because I'll be in your presence. If I have to go through some trials and suffering, Lord, you'll be with me and with us and you'll strengthen us with your supernatural strength and we'll soon be with you in glory and power nonetheless. So Lord, help us to be prepared either way. In Christ's name, amen.